Okay, our reading tonight is from Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, and if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles under the seats in front of you, and the page is 685. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wing, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. Who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. Now and forever. Now and forever. Now and forever. Amen. Welcome again to church. My name's David. Wasn't that video great? That was made by a couple of our night church people. I think they deserve a round of applause, don't they? Yeah, it's pretty good. Hold on. I'll leave them anonymous, but Gus Guy was looking pretty good in there. Yeah. All right, Pete. Probably a bit loud. Thank you. All right, well, welcome to church again. Shaw boys, welcome. I think some of the youth group girls are going to be bummed they weren't here tonight. Um, but come, come on back next week and they'll be here for sure. So anyway, um, but as uh, Noxie said, we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And um, I, I'm really excited to be speaking tonight. So I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. 
Uh, Lord, we look forward to what you have to say to us. Speak through me, Lord, and just open up our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 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 All right. Well, until the 16th century, a lot of the Western world, you know, Western thinkers, believed our solar system looked like this. The astronomical theories of a guy called Ptolemy led many to believe that the Earth was located at the center of the universe, not even just the solar system, but the whole universe, with every other planet, including our sun, and you know, every other star in the universe revolving around it. Now, I reckon this kind of agreed with the very human idea that we're at the center of the universe. It felt good, you know, it probably stroked our egos. That is until uh, 1530, when a guy called Copernicus discovered actually the Earth revolves around the sun. Uh, this was a huge reversal of perspective, huge change of perspective for people um, in this guy's day. And the church and lots of other people really were not comfortable with this revelation. It's a big change from thinking the earth is at the center of the entire universe to the earth is just one planet revolving around the sun. Now, as I said, we're currently in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer does to human ideas about prayer what Copernicus did to astronomical theory. Okay, that is, when teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus totally turns what we might think about prayer on its head. Now, let's think about the structure of the Lord's Prayer for a bit. And even if you haven't been at church for a while, or you, 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 know, you may have been at church when you're young, you, you might be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It's really famous, isn't it? Well, it goes like this, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, that's the first half. That's most of the first, you know, over the first half. But do you notice something about it? Notice something about that first half. It's got nothing to do with us, right? There's no, God, can you please fix this for me? God, can you please just bless me with this? God, can you please get me through this exam? You know, whatever it is. There's nothing about us. You know, we don't rate a mention till the second half. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, and so on. Well, so what? What does that mean? What can we learn about prayer from that? Well, it teaches us that prayer is not so much about what we can ask of God, but more about how we can relate to Him. It's, it's um, less about, God, please bless my plans, and more about, God, what are your plans? Less about, God, can you please do this for me? And more about, God, what are you doing? It's quite the revolution. Now, tonight, we're looking at the second line of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And uh, we're going to explore in more detail the fact that actually God's at the center of the universe and we aren't. So how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to do it with a bit of what, why, and how, all right? So we're going to look at what does hallowed mean, why should we do it, why should we hallow God's name, and how? How can we do it? All right, so what does it mean, why should we do it, and how can we do it? Sound good? Sound exciting? Yep, I can just feel the excitement through the humidity I know it's hot in here, don't worry, I'm only going to be about 48 minutes, okay, from now. That's a joke, by the way. Probably about 20 minutes if you, if you really feel like timing or anything. All right, so we're excited. Let's get on this journey together. Let's look at what does hallowed mean, okay? What does this word mean? Well, before we really answer that, just, just for a minute, could you indulge me? Let's just remind ourselves of the awesomeness of God, okay? Let's just remind ourselves of the awesomeness of our Creator God. So keeping with this space theme... Let's have a look beyond our world. Let's take a journey, all right? Take a journey with me. So let's start, good place to start, at the center of our solar system. Let's have a look. This is the sun. This is our sun. 
This is um, our local star. You probably know this, but it's a typical G-type main sequence star. I had to Google that. Um, with a core temperature of about 16 million degrees. Right? Did you know that one million Earths can fit into the sun? It's crazy. This is my favorite fact about our sun. I'll, I'll try and get this right. The sun produces enough energy in one second that if we could harvest it and use it, it would power our world as we know it for 500,000 years. Isn't that crazy? That's the sun. All right, let's keep moving on this journey. Let's move out a bit. Here is our home. Here's a photo of, I think, the Mediterranean at night. Uh, this is taken from the International Space Station, which is about 400 kilometers above the Earth. Uh, let's keep moving out. This is our home again, the big blue planet that's taken about 100,000 kilometers away. You're about, a, sorry, I'm just filling with this thing here. It's about a quarter of the way to the moon or just over. Let's keep moving. Let's keep going out. This is the Earth taken from the surface of the moon. That's at about 375,000 kilometers away from the Earth. Let's take a big leap now. This, you can barely see, is the Earth and the moon taken from the surface of Mars. I think by Matt Damon during the documentary The Martian. Yeah, there's probably that there. That's 74 million kilometers away. Let's take a really big leap back now. This is the Earth in the bottom right-hand corner. You can just see it there with the arrow. This is taken by the Hubble telescope as it was passing the iconic planet of Saturn. That's at about 1.4 billion, with a B, kilometers away. Let's move back even further, okay? This is a really famous image called the pale blue dot. Right, that's the Earth there, and you can see in the box it's been blowed up. It's pretty grainy because it's had to be blown up. Again, taken by the Hubble telescope as it left our solar system. Okay, so this is you know, past Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and this is at about 6 billion kilometers from the Earth. Let's take a huge, giant leap back now. This is pr pretty familiar photograph, I'm sure. This is our galaxy. This is the Milky Way. Now, the Earth, you know, the solar system, our sun, is in that image somewhere, but far too kind of, you know, faint to see. This is our galactic home. Let's take an even bigger step back. This is, now, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure this is the biggest, the deepest sort of image NASA has put together of our universe. Every dot, every light you can see there is its own galaxy, now just think about that for a second. The Milky Way's in there. I mean, our sun, the solar system. I mean, that's all, you can't see that now. This is really the universe as, as we can tell. Feeling small? <laughs> I am. It's crazy. I mean, our God is amazing, isn't he? Our God is amazing. This is our God at work. Right? There's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called Psalms, and chapter 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. I mean, they really do, don't they? God created all of this. You see, God's not like us. You know, we make things, we make creations, but we can't compare them, can we? God is altogether different from us. And this is kind of beginning to understand what this word hallowed means, right? Hallowed be your name. Jesus teaches us to pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Well, hallowed, it's, it's kind of another word for holy. 
Now, you might have heard of the word holy before, and what do you think of what comes to mind? You might think of someone who's pretty self-righteous, who you know, lives a, a really moral, upright life, and he thinks they might be better than you, and generally these people are a bore to be around, not very nice, and particularly at parties, not very nice to be around. Uh, or you might think of, when you think of holy, you might think of a priest or a monk or a nun, you know, someone who kind of separates themselves from the world. But all of those thoughts are really kind of unhelpful when thinking about God being holy. You see, holy, it's the most used word to describe God in the Bible. Now, God is many things, right? He has many attributes, we say. Lots of things, all at the same time. He's love, He's just, He's eternal, He's all-knowing. And this, this word holy summarizes, you know, all His uniquely transcendent moral perfection, okay? So it emphasizes just how utterly greater He is than us. You know, when we look at some of these images, right, we think, wow, God is awesome. I mean, He is holy, okay? Now, what do you reckon would happen if you met this God? What do you reckon would happen if you came face to face with the God who held the sun in His hand, who made the galaxies that we can see and can't? What would happen if you had an encounter with this God? Well, let's meet someone who did meet Him. We're going to look at our passage for tonight. We're going to look at six verses from this reading that was read so well by Steph. And um, I'm going to have the passage up on the screen or you can have it open in the Bibles in front of you. Let's read this together and see what happens when someone comes face to face with the living God. Let's have a look. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Okay. So this guy, Isaiah, he was living in Jerusalem about 2,700 years ago, hanging out in a place called the temple. Now, what does this guy see, right? He sees God manifested as a king, sitting on an enormous throne. Even just the end of his robe, like the train of his robe, fills this enormous building, probably one of the biggest buildings on the planet at that time. Now, what Isaiah is witnessing, it's kind of consistent with what we might think about God. He's giant, he's awe-inspiring. Let's keep reading. Above him were, two, were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Okay, so this is different. What's going on here? Now, we've got some, some angels, right? Some pretty cool heavenly beings. I don't know if you want to meet these people, these things in a dark alley, right? They're pretty scary. But compared to God, maybe they're not so frightening. Um, now, let's have a look at what they're doing. It seems they're covering their eyes so as not to gaze upon God, and they're covering their feet in some act of humility. Let's keep reading. And they're calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So here we get a picture of these you know, amazing heavenly creatures, right? They're flying around God, covering their eyes so they don't get burnt out because of God's awesomeness. And they're covering their feet because they think God is much greater than we are. And they're singing a song. Right? And here's this word, holy, and they say it three times. I mean, why? Well, saying something three times in the ancient Jewish culture meant holy to the max, like anything three times was to the max, to perfection. So, God, you are really, really, really holy. Now, just think, just think for a second what, what Isaiah is experiencing. Just try, you know, get in his shoes for a minute. What is going through his mind? What do you think he's experiencing? They're pretty full on, Right? 
About 15 years ago, um, I got woken up in the middle of the night by a phone call. And, uh, you know, you're pretty groggy when you wake up, right? And I take this phone call and some people are screaming at me down on the other end. I finally realized it's a few friends of mine and they were on holidays in the UK and they were ringing me to tell me that um, they'd just bumped into Bono and The Edge from U2 and they got to hang out with them. I mean, this is a true story. They got to go to their studio and listen to some of the songs from the then new album. And they were ringing me to tell me, slash, rub it in that I wasn't there, right? Because we're all really big fans. And so I was gutted. You know, I get off the phone and I'm like totally jealous and I can't get back to sleep. And I was really gutted. Okay, fast forward a few years later and you two come to Australia. And we're all big fans, and so we buy lots of tickets, you know, and we, we even fly around some of the country to see them. That's pretty crazy. So this time we're, we're down in Melbourne, and we see a show, and it was really great. Next day we find out where Bono was staying. Um, and it's, I'm just, I'm so ashamed to say, it's so pathetic. We, we camped out at his hotel, right? <laughs> it's just so lame, so lame. So we waited there for a lot of the morning, and, you know, it was just so pathetic. Now, there was lots of people there at this really nice hotel, but nothing was happening. I mean, no one was coming out. And so we were on our way to the airport, so we had our bags with us, and we thought, hey, what the heck, let's just try something. So we put on some nicer clothes, go into the back entrance of the hotel, and just walk past security confidently, and we got through. And then we're waiting in the hotel lobby, uh, not really knowing what to do, looking pretty conspicuous, just kind of, you know, waiting there, and I go, what do we do now? I don't know, what do you think we should do? Anyway, and then the man appears. Right, Bono comes, you know, from some outdoor courtyard, there he is, surrounded by a few people, and what do you do when you're in a fancy hotel? You can't run, right? You can't bolt, otherwise you just get kicked out. So we just walk really quickly, you know, sort of as fast as we could without looking like we were running. And we get like a few meters. He never really faced us. He was looking the other way, going towards the lifts. And we're sort of just going near him. And then like we just, just before we're about to yell out, Bono, the security guards grab us, right? And then they kick us out of the hotel. And that's the story. I mean, how pathetic is that, right? It's just so lame. We got this close. And I just remember walking away from the hotel, just thinking, why did I waste all that time trying to meet him? You know, I mean, I, I'd really just put Bono just on this celebrity pedestal, right? I just, I thought meeting him would be the ultimate experience. But, you know, okay, I didn't meet him, but I got pretty close. He's pretty short, by the way. Got pretty close, you know, close enough to almost smell him and touch him. And as I was sort of processing the event, I was just incredibly underwhelmed by the whole experience. I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to meet him, but you know what? He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's written some cool songs and seems to be a nice kind of guy. I don't know, but I was so underwhelmed. It's just so whatever about the experience. You know, that was not Isaiah's experience when he met the living God. He was not underwhelmed. He was overwhelmed. And you know what? Each one of us is going to come face to face with the living God when we leave this earth. When we die... We are going to meet God, and we will not be underwhelmed. We will be overwhelmed. Let's keep reading. Let's have a look at the next verse. Verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah speaking still. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. Isaiah experiences the fireworks of God here, doesn't he? The voices of the angels, they shook this huge building to its foundation. It's filling with smoke. 
And Isaiah says, woe to me. Notice he doesn't say, hey, God, what's going on? What's up? Good to see you. No way. He is just flattened, right? He's in awe. And he says, woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, what does that mean? It sounds kind of strange. Well, see, Isaiah, in that moment, he realizes who he is compared to God, right? He sees God in all his utter perfection, his holiness, and he gains complete insight into himself. See, he's not like God. Now, even though Isaiah and you and I, we are made in the image of God, we've been marked by sin. And he cries, woe to me. And this needs to be our reaction too. We've got to understand who God is and we've got to say the same. And this brings us to a really great question, right? How can a holy God come into relationship with us? Right? How can, how can a God who doesn't even have a hint of wrongdoing about him be in a relationship with us? You know, who we are sinners. We're, we're marked by sin. We're not perfect like him. See, we'd, if, if we did come into contact with him, like, we'd burn up in his presence. Like, like a moth drawn to a flame. We are drawn to God. We, we know there must be more than this. We, 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 we kind of get an inkling that, yes, something created this world. There's something behind it. We'd, we want to know who this, this God is. But just like a moth is drawn to the flame, we'd kind of burn up in the flame in his presence. So how can we be with God? Let's check out verse 6. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Is it Sully? Yeah. Hey. (laughs) If I were you, I'd want to hear this message too, so stick around. It's pretty cool. All right, see you later. Let's have a look at verse 6. Here we go. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken uh, with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. So how can God be with us? How could we be with a God like that? Because God acts, okay? God does something about it. You see, God sends one of his angels to purify Isaiah. And what did Isaiah do? I mean, nothing, right? He's, he's just in awe. He can't move. He's flattened. What could he possibly do to make things right between him and God? Nothing. But see, that's the beauty of the Christian faith, right? That our God is a doer. He makes a way. And this kind of brings us to our second point of, well, why should we hallow God's name, right? Well, just like Isaiah needed to be cleansed from his sins, so do we. But his was a one-time deal. We need a once-for-all solution. And like always, that solution is Jesus. There's a book in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. And there's a verse in there, 521, that says, God made him... Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, from everything we've been seeing tonight, apart from what God's done for us in Jesus, He deserves to be praised because He is who He is, okay? But how much more so when we realize what He's done for us in Jesus? You see, God just didn't sit up in heaven, see us lost in our sin, and think, all the best with that. Good luck, You know, good luck kind of trying to make your way to me. And every other faith system, every other religion, every other sort of spiritual belief will have you think as you should just try hard and try and get to God and with good thinking or with the right amount of prayers or with the right amount of good deeds, you'll get there. It's wrong, absolutely wrong. 
The Christian faith is all about what God has done for us. And that's good news. That's the gospel. That's what that word means, good news. That's the good news of the Christian faith. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died on the cross, took the punishment we deserve. Why? So we could be right with God. How good's that? Incredible, incredible mercy. So we can now approach this amazing, awesome God, and not just with fear and trembling either, not just coming to His presence, but as we learned last week when we were looking at the first line of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven, we can approach Him as our Father and call Him Dad. That's crazy. If you trust in what Christ has done for you, Scriptures say that God has adopted you as a son or a daughter into His family. Here's a a very famous picture of American President JFK sitting at his desk in the Oval Office and at his feet, playing under his desk while he works, is his son, JFK Jr. It's a great photo, isn't it? It's really cool. I love it. Here is the most powerful man in the world at that time. And, you know, here's his son playing under his feet, under the desk while he works. Who could possibly disturb the most powerful man in the world while he's at work. I mean, who would get past the security? Who would get past all the secretaries, right? Who could possibly interrupt him while he's works? And who, who could, you know, play under his desk at his feet? His son, his child. We can approach the all-powerful, awesome God of the universe as father and call him dad. Why? Well, because of Jesus That's why we should hallow his name, right? That's why we should want to make his name famous, want to praise him, because he's worth it. All right, let's move on to our last point. So we've looked at what does hallowed mean? We've looked at, well, why should we do it? Now let's look at, well, how could we? How could we hallow God's name? Let's have a look. What would it mean for us to hallow God's name? All right, well, three quick things, with our lips, with our actions, and with our worship. Here we go. I'll be quick our lips. If we want to hallow God's name, it makes sense that part of that is by what we say. Now, we'll of course never want to um, take the Lord's name in vain, right? Use God's name as a swear word. That's a pretty serious thing. Remember who God is, right? Be a pretty horrible thing to take his name in vain like that. And, you know, some of us have done that accidentally in the past, sure. And, you know, God is a great forgiving God. But we want to be careful about what we say there. Now, of course, though, there's going to be people around us, right, at work, you know, or friends or on the sporting field that do do that, that use God's name as a swear word. Now, I want to be careful here. You might, might want to be led to very politely pull them aside and, and tell them, hey, that's pretty offensive to me that, you know, what you're doing there, that's actually my Savior's name and you're using that in vain. You might want to do that. But I think mostly we want to be concerned with those people coming to know the God, the, the, the name that they're using, right? We want those people to know God, don't we? Rather than sort of just let their, get their behavior to line up with ours, right? So part of hallowing God's name is telling people how great God is, right? Sharing our faith, right? That's, we call that sort of evangelizing or witnessing. Now, the thing is, for some of us, that can be incredibly petrifying, right? Sharing our faith can be very nerve-wracking. I get it. So I I think we just need to pray for boldness and pray for opportunities. So part of hallowing God's name is telling others that He is great, okay? Let's keep moving by our actions. 
all right? Our actions matter, right? What we do matters. We're actually God's representatives, God's ambassadors here on earth. And don't you reckon, whether you like it or not, when people find out you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, they watch your life. You notice that? They watch your life. And we, you know, we're never going to live perfect lives. We don't want to pretend that we can, but we want to remember people are watching us. We want to remember who we're representing. Uh, I've heard, you know, a lot of people walk away from the faith or be very disappointed um, with Christians because of their hypocritical behavior. We just got to remember that people are watching us. Now, we're going to be talking a lot more about this in this series in future weeks, but let's just remember who we represent. All right, so with our lips, with our actions, and with our worship. Now, to worship God in the Christian sense means to give Him our whole life, right? To live for Him every day. But just for a minute, I want to talk about how we worship Him together at church. Like now, I'd like to talk about that for just a minute. There's something special when we come together as God's children on a Sunday. Right? It's a time when we together proclaim what God is worth and give Him what He's worth. You know, we hallow His name together. And I, I think some of us maybe need to ask ourselves, well, what are our attitudes when we come to church? Now, us Aussies, we're a pretty casual lot, aren't we? And I think it's great. We're very laid back, right? We, you know, I lived in America for a little while, and I love the Aussie laid back. They're a bit stiff, I think, sometimes. Excuse me, Americans, if you're here. But I think Americans, uh, Australians, we're very laid back, but, but about everything, which maybe can be a bad thing. So in thinking about church, right? You know, we come here in Manly. We come to church without sunnies on our head and, you know, thongs and boardies. And that, that, that's fine, really. Although a few weeks ago, someone came to church with a pair of wet boardies and a towel. That's all. I thought that was a bit funny. It was a guy, thankfully. But... Um, <laughs> Maybe that was a bit far, but look, I don't want to you know, bang on about um, what we wear, but I wonder if that casualness betrays what we, what we really think about church in general. Imagine if you got your dream job, right? At the, the company you thought, oh man, I'd love to get a job there, right? You got a job at your, your dream company. One evening, you get an email from the CEO and they say, hey, I'd, um, I'd, you've been doing great. I'd love to hear your ideas. Can I meet with you in the morning? you know, yeah, sure, I'll be there, right? You reply. How would you, what would your attitude be to that meeting? You'd prioritize it, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd wear something nice. You'd, uh, you'd go prepared. You'd be on time, wouldn't you? You'd set like three or four alarms, right? You'd be on time. You'd be there. You know, what's our attitude when we come to church? Is it a holy appointment, right? What's our attitude to our time of singing? Now, I don't want to be prescriptive, and say, you've got to you know, get in the mood, close your eyes, raise your hands. I would never want to say that, right? Because if I said that and you did it, it wouldn't be genuine. But I just think we need to remember who we're singing to. Remind each other who we're singing to. It's not just to each other. It's to the living God. The, the English word worship comes from the word worth-ship, which literally means to ascribe worth to something. So we need to remember what God is worth and give Him what He's worth. We must absolutely remember that He wants us to draw near to Him in intimacy, right? Call Him Dad. But we never want to forget who He is, the awesomeness of our great God. And I love this quote, uh, a guy called Matt Redman. He's a great songwriter. He says, when we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down in worship. I'll say that again. When we um, face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down 
in worship. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to hallow God's name. That affects how we pray. It affects how we live. To declare that his name is awesome by how we speak, how we live, and how we worship him, how we honor him in our times together. But we're going to do that right now as we sing to our great God again. But before we do, why don't I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you. We just want to come before you and honor you and hallow your name. We want to remember that you are our Father. But tonight we just want to focus on the fact that you are great, that there is no one like you, that you are all-powerful, that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we realize that is the song of heaven going on right now. And we want to join in that song in the way that we speak. We want to honor you by how we speak. We want to honor you by how we act, God. We want to honor you by how we draw together on a Sunday and worship you together. Father, because you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.